0: I don't, I don't think he would care about me personally, I think, he, I think he would care about the bigger picture. God cares greatly about myself and I believe many people. Yeah, maybe God loves me, who knows, you know, I hope he does, or she. I think he's just happy if you're happy. I think God does care about us, but you know, it's, it's whether we want to be there and pray and meditate and, and get to that kind of God consciousness, you know, it's our choice, we all have a choice. Um, I believe God created this world in which we live. I think God does, but he gave us free will so we could care for this planet. We are the cause of, you know, um, separation and, and you know, not caring after the environment. We are told that God created the world and, and everything we have. You'd like to think that he would want us to look after it. God, God created everything, it's a miracle. I would think that God maybe would think about um, money being maybe that root to some of that evil and to some of that that greed and that kind of bringing out the worst in people. Well, again, he, he's gave us the power to, to to have that thought ourselves, you know. Do we care about starving kids in Africa? Well, we should do, you know. If there is God, I'd like him to do something. I would, I would love for him. <laughs> I wish there was some way. Use, use his influence yeah, to a, make people uh, yeah. a little bit kinder, yeah, a little bit more generous. More kindness, particularly yeah. if they are very, very wealthy. Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. You wouldn't? No. I wouldn't think so. I'd think that'd be a bit too trivial, really. I think he's alright about it, do you know what I mean? Because, like I said, if you work all day, sets challenges, if we succeed, it's like having a tea break, isn't it? You know, thank God I had a community and, you know, like a job to go to, but I think work is very, very important. It empowers you. You get friendship out of work. Network. Um, I believe God's given us giftings, talents. The abilities that we have, he intends that we use, and he intends that we be satisfied in the way that he created us. Good morning, and thank you for that welcome. Welcome to a new series, Does God Care? It's a great privilege to kick off this series, Does God Care?, where we're thinking about some of the real issues of life, as we've just seen It's right and it's obvious that we think, well, yeah, if there's a God, he's big and powerful, but does he care about the detail of our lives, the practical things going on? This series is going to explore that. And we're going to do it through the book of Genesis, which, as you probably know, is the first book of the Bible. So we are going back to the very beginning. We're retracing things to our origins in order to discover from the moment that God first kicked this world off. Does he care? And what's the point of the whole thing? Does that sound like a good series? I think you're in the right place, and uh, we are therefore going back to the future. Any other children of the 80s and the 90s? Back, any other fans of Back to the Future? Come on, Marty and Doc building this time machine to travel. I saw this great meme uh, that I liked with uh, with Marty um, so with Doc saying to Marty, "Whatever you do, don't set, don't set it to 2022." which I, <laughs> I thought was quite an amusing take on the fact that we seem to live in challenging times, don't we? There's a few reasons why we might set the clock if we had a choice to a different year. Instead of the one where you know global, global warming is a, a challenge in the environment, Russia and what that crazy invasion is all about, we've now uh, said goodbye to our amazing queen and we've got a new prime minister, a mini-budget, the pound is falling, poverty is rising don't set the clock to 2022, you might think. But actually, we believe, and through this series we're going to see, that there's a God who cares. Not just in the beginning, he cares about 2022, and he cares about me and you. Amen? And so we're going to go back to the beginning to discover why God cares and why he made us as he he did. And the reason we're doing this, going back, is because... Well, I was reading a a BBC News article about this amazing new telescope that's been built. Have you heard about this? The James Webb uh, Telescope, which is basically a massive upgrade on the Hubble Telescope in terms of how far it can see out into outer space. And the reason scientists are so interested, I didn't realize this, is because they realize that the furthest stars away from us The light between left those stars such a long time ago that if we could see back into those stars, we would. the idea for science is we would be able to see back to the dawn of time. And the reason they're fascinated by that is because they think it's only when you go back there that you can explain everything that's going on here. (laughs) It's when you go back to the past that you can discover what the present and the future holds and, and what makes sense of why things are as they are. Well, I don't have with me the James Webb Telescope, but I do have something called a Bible. (laughs) And the amazing thing about the opening pages, it's like one of those telescopes, only better, because it takes us back to the dawn of time. Amen? It, It travels back. It's like a portal through which we get to see the moment when everything came from nothing. In the beginning, we get to discover Why God made this world, why we're here, and what the purpose of our lives is all about. Does that sound exciting? Much better than any telescope. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to the opening page of Genesis. And we're going to read together in a moment the first couple of verses. Uh, And they'll be on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you, so don't panic. But the point here is we're reading an ancient text that's taking us back to the dawn of time. Now, I can also understand you might be thinking, hang on a minute, <laughs> that's all very well, but is Genesis still relevant? I mean, now that we've got the James Webb telescope and all that science can do and technology, do we really need this ancient text? Does it still make sense of our modern world? Is that a fair question to ask? I think it is. Well, I've got a, I really believe it does, but I've got a couple of tips for how to read Genesis an ancient text. In a way that still makes sense in our modern world, but so before I read it, can I give you a couple of tips? You didn't agree to that, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> is that okay? No, it's not. but I'm going to force these tips on you in that case. OK, number one. Tip one: when you're reading Genesis, Genesis is more about the "why than the "how." I think this is so helpful to understand. Have you ever been in a shop and you've gone up to someone and you've said, "Excuse me, how much is this?" And they've looked at you and said, "Sorry, mate, <laughs> I don't work here. Have you ever had that experience? or someone's done that to you and it was a perfectly good question but you asked the wrong person right if we ask genesis the wrong questions we'll we'll be frustrated with the seeming lack of answers but Genesis is less about the how questions, how old is the universe, how has life developed, how do plants photosynthesize. Science can give some good answers to that, although I would say, as a scientist would have to admit, science is still an experiment. (laughs) It's still working itself out and at times contradicting itself. But science can give some good answers to the how questions, but Genesis answers the far more fundamental questions of why. Why? Things science can't explain, like why are we here in the first place? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there so obviously good and evil in the world? You know, science, can't, science just says everything's natural, but we know, no, that's not the case. There are some things that are good and some things that are bad. Why is the world so beautiful and broken all at the same time? If you want to know answers to the why questions, you've got to go back to the beginning of Genesis. That's the place to find the answers to those deepest questions. So it's more about the why than the how. I love a way a former mathematician of Oxford University, Professor John Lennox, he has this analogy or or, or illustration. He says, imagine there's a lady called Aunt Matilda, and she bakes a cake. right? And scientists take this cake and they examine all the details. They work out the exact temperature she baked it at, the ingredients she used, the physics and the chemistry that brought this incredible cake out of the oven. They can tell you how she made it, right? But only Aunt Matilda can tell you why she made it. Maybe because it was her nephew's birthday and she loves him. Science can answer the how, but only Genesis can tell us why why God made the world, and how much he cares about us. So it's more about the why than the how, tip one. Tip two, Genesis is written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It is for us, it's absolutely a message for us, but it wasn't written to us yesterday by someone here in Peterborough or somewhere in the UK, right? This actually comes from a very different time and context, and it's helpful to go back to think, what was it like What was was the understanding of the world when Genesis was written? Because a text makes a lot more sense when you understand it in its original context. Now, just to give you a sense of how different the world of Genesis was to our world, I want to invite you to read with me the opening line of Genesis 1. Let's read together. You've all gone very quiet. I said, let's read together. Now, this is what Genesis originally looked like, right? It's a bit different, right, to the things that we can read and write. Would you agree? It actually works the other way around. Genesis, uh, ancient Hebrew, which is what that that, that, uh, text is, it it reads from right to left rather than left to right. So it's a very different text from a very different worldview. You know, when Genesis was written, there were other myths about how the world had come into being. And they thought that there were many gods And the gods were sort of slightly out of control of a world that already pre-existed them. So what they did was out of necessity, sort of trying to force the world to be something that it wouldn't want to be. And they were grappling with chaos and they fought with each other. And when one god killed another god, out of the dead carcass of that god, it wringed the blood out of the carcass and made humans out of that. Because the god was hungry and needed slaves to make food to feed the gods. Those were other stories being told into which Genesis arrives and says, No, <laughs> that is not how everything began. There is one God who made all things. He is not out of, nothing is out of his control, and he did not make humans as slaves to, f- to feed him. He made humans in his image to love them. It's a very different story when understood in its context. So remember, it is for us, but it wasn't written to us. We're going to put the text back in its context as we go through. So it's more about the why than the how. It's written for us, not to us. Now let's read the opening verses of Genesis chapter 1. This time in English, you'll be relieved to hear. Genesis 1 says this. This is what we're going to unpack today. Just the first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I find in these three, uh, two verses, three things I want to just unpack briefly. Firstly, something about our origins, our past. Then something about our present, the sense of purpose in our world. And thirdly, something about our future, the hope that there is because God cares. So firstly, our origins. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, our origins tells us there is a God who is our father who cares about us. Isn't that good news? God is our father and he cares about us. You know, sometimes to trace your origins, your ancestry, can be a very reassuring thing. I don't know if you've ever been on Ancestry.org and you can see there the, backst- the little strap line is bring your backstory to life. In other words, discover your roots, where you've really come from, and you might feel more rooted. You might feel more sense of value. Well, my mother-in-law is obsessed with this. She's American, which partly explains it because they're fascinated by history, aren't they? And My mother-in-law has been researching uh, Charlotte's family tree, and it turns out, I kid you not, she mani- I've seen the documentation for this. I needed some proof. My wife is actually related to Pocahontas. That is a true story. No, no, I'm not. You're laughing as if I'm I'm not talking about the Disney character, the real Indian princess who actually, an English settler called John Rolfe uh, married Pocahontas, and my wife Charlotte is descended from John Rolfe, and so I chose one woman in the world who is descended from Pocahontas. Isn't that amazing? I think what a result. Yeah, I know. She's also uh, it turns out she's also related to Lady Godiva, but I'm not putting a picture of her up because she she rode naked through Coventry, so we're not going to go there. But anyway, <laughs> that's a true story on a horse. Anyway, the point is the point is not Lady Godiva. The point is when, <laughs> when you trace back your origins and ancestry, Actually, if you discover something like that, it's like, oh, wow, I've come from a good family line. I've come from a good place. Well, listen, whatever your family line, whatever your backstory, you have come from a good place. In the beginning, God. You ultimately, we ultimately are tracing our origins right back to a God who is loving as a father to his children. That's where we humans have ultimately come from. Whatever your backstory, whatever your family history... God intended you to be here. He loves you. You are his creation. Now, that puts value and worth on every human being. Amen? In the beginning, God. Now, Genesis doesn't actually describe what this God is like. There's no sort of bullet point biography of this God to introduce him, much more like a film Genesis effectively says, here's the main character, now watch the movie to get to know them, right? That's how a good film works. Well, the Bible's like that. We just find on the first page, in the beginning, God. Well, what's this God like? Well, watch the rest of the movie. And if you go through the Bible story, you find towards the end, the big reveal is that this God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who is in relationship with the Father in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's eternally, always being God. He is a Father with a Son in the Spirit. God is a family of love. Now, a bit like some of those films in the 90s, where you watch the film and then right at the end there was a big reveal and it made you think back all through the film. You know, sort of Sixth Sense and... Fight Club and The Matrix, you know, it's when you get to the end, it's like, oh, wow, I did, and then you turn around from the end of the film, and it's like, oh, of course, the clues were there all the way through. Have you ever seen one of those films? Well, Genesis is a bit like that. When we get towards the end of the Bible, it's like, God is a father, son, and spirit. You turn around and you look back at Genesis, like, oh, yes, of course, in the beginning, God, that word in Hebrew is Elohim, which is a plural word, a little hint right at the beginning. God made the world, but through his spirit and by his words. And then that same God, when he makes humans, he speaks to himself. Let us make humans in our image. Who is God talking to? Well, from the end, you can look back and realize, of course, the clues were there all along. God is not a single, lonely figure in the skies. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are here because God is love. The Father so loves the Son in the Spirit that almost like, imagine a sort of, well, I was actually, I had a quick catch up with my old friend Tom Webster last night, who's on the teaching team here at Kingsgate, and we were sitting in the sauna after having a quick swim before dinner, and Tom actually helped helped me with a very helpful illustration. He said, imagine it almost like a cascading fountain. You know, you've got the Father, who's the bubbling source of all things, and he overflows his life into the Son and the Spirit, and then they decided in this moment of creation that they would bubble over their love into creating us, that we might also be part of this fountain of God's love. That's where we've come from. And that's not bad for Tom Webster, don't you think? It's better than the other things he was talking about. I'm not, I don't want to hear about accountancy, Tom. <laughs> anyway, the point being, this bubbling fountain of life is the source of our being We are here because God is love. The Father loves us with the same love that he has for his Son, Jesus Christ. And out of that love, in the beginning, God created all things. Now, I am a father today. I have three children. And I am not a perfect father by a long shot. But if you asked me after the service, I know you've got kids, do you care for your children? I'd be insulted by the question, wouldn't you? does God care? We almost need to be careful asking the question. He is a father. He is the perfect father. And imagine if I heard my children, I passed one of their bedrooms and two of them were in there talking and they were talking about things they were frightened about or things that they couldn't do and they needed help. And one of them said to the other, well, why don't you ask dad? Imagine if one of I overheard one of them saying, I don't think he cares about that kind of stuff. I'd be devastated, wouldn't I? May God never overhear us thinking that he doesn't care about our stuff. (laughs) He is our father. He loves us. We are here because God cares about us in the beginning, God. And then secondly, as well as our origins in the past, we also discover something about our purpose in the present. God is our maker who cares about our world. He's our father who cares about us, but he's also our maker in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, therefore, is the one who had an idea and turned that idea into reality by making things. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, ex- that project where you set out with an idea and you actually make something and something materializes and there's your idea and it's like, oh, there it is, that's what I saw. Maybe it's a dinner that you've cooked or maybe it's a cardigan that you've knitted. In my case... It's a table that I'm making at the moment, actually. I don't know if you remember, but when I was at Kingsgate preaching recently, I used the metaphor of some wood and a plane and a chisel. Do you remember this? You don't remember what I say, do you? I don't don't know why why I bother. Anyway, I, I used that metaphor. To be honest, I didn't know what I was talking about. It was just a picture at the time. But since then, a very kind member of Kingsgate gave me a sheet of oak. And I've been making a new oak table, and it's a work in progress. But I tell you what, I am loving it. I'm going up to this farm near where I live with every little hour where I can sneak off duty, and I am just so enjoying the process of working with wood and actually making something. You can see here actually a picture of, um, I showed Charlotte where I'd got to, and um, she laughed, as you can see, so it's not going brilliantly at the moment, but that's what I'm making anyway, and and that's all you're going to see at this stage. I'll send you the photo when it's finished, right? But can you imagine when it's finished? Can you imagine when I bring home a table that I've made, can you imagine how much pride and hopefully in the right sense I'm going to feel about this table and showing it to my family and can you imagine how much joy I'm going to have when all my family's sitting around a table that I've made and can you imagine how protective I'm going to be of this table <laughs> can you imagine what I would do to you if you came around to our house sat, and put your coffee mug and stained my table Ooh. why because I made that table I care for that table It's not just any old table. It's something that I saw in my mind, and I had the joy of fashioning it, and now I love it, and I want it to be a sight of other people eating, enjoying life together. You know, that is how God feels about our world. He had the vision for it. He made it, and he loves it. He stepped back after creation and said, this is good. And when he saw human beings, if you like, sitting around the table, he said, this is very good. He loves this world because he made this world. And he is such a brilliant, beautiful God that he doesn't just care then about the big stuff that he made. I think this is one of our problems. We imagine a God who formed the stars. In verse 16 of Genesis 1, it simply says he made the stars also. Something of an understatement, right? And you understand that, you know, through the James Webb telescope what that means, it's thought that within our galaxy alone, there are 100 billion stars, and there are thought to be at least 100 billion other galaxies. Here's something. I couldn't believe this. I had to look this up and think, no, that's got to be wrong. Do you know, it, apparently it's fact that there are more stars in the universe than there are sa- grains of sand on all of the beaches in the entire world. It's like, Wow the scale of this world. And here's the trap we can fall into. We think, well, if God's got all of that on his plate, (laughs) at the the very most, he could care about perhaps Russia and the economy. But not my bills that I can't pay. Not my children that I can't feed. Not the small stuff of life. Listen, we're going to learn through this series. God is not some finite being that has to divide his attention and resources into fractions and you only get a little slice. He is an infinite being who, when we pray, we have all of his attention. Isn't that extraordinary? And when we pray, we access a resource that is not divided into fractions. God cares about Russia, he cares about Ukraine, and he cares about your bills and your family. Isn't that extraordinary? You can see things through the telescope that he cares about, and you can see through the microscope that he cares. I can remember learning this. Things lodge in your memory when this gets detailed, doesn't it? I remember my mother praying because we didn't have enough money for a new school blazer that I needed. Now, forget global warming. That's a crisis when you're a 15-year-old and you're not going to have a blazer with your mates, right? And I remember my mum praying for a blazer. And I remember laughing at her and saying, "What? what you can't pray about blazers. <laughs> What's God going to do? Make a blazer? It's ridiculous. Anyway, I remember we then, she, we then drove into town for another reason. And we, she pulled over outside this charity shop just on the edge of town. And she said, I, I don't know why, but just go and have a look in there. I went in. I can still remember the rack of clothes. There for a pound was my school blazer in exactly the size I needed. It's like God cares about blazers. Amen. And then I remember when Charlotte and I were newly married and we were serving the Lord and we didn't have any money and our hoover broke. And I remember Charlotte putting her hands on the hoover and I said, there's no point, it's broken. And she said, no, I'm not trying to turn it on, I'm praying for it. I'm like, you can't pray for hoovers, that's ridiculous. She prayed for our hoover and it started working again. I kid you not. And it's like, you've got to learn, haven't you, that God cares about the stars and blazers and hoovers. God cares about you and me. And through this series, we're going to see in the detail, this little visual here gives us a sense of where we're going, a route map for this series. We're going to see God cares about the environment that he's asked us to be stewards of. God cares about our workplace. God cares about Monday for you just as much as Sunday. Amen? God cares about our work and our rest. God cares about our human relationships When we get married, God cares about that. When we're single, God cares about that. When we have children and parenting and families and extended friendship networks, God cares about these things. We're going to see that God cares about our fuel and our food and our finances and all the things that we feel short of. God's in the detail, amen? Because he's a father who loves us and he's our maker who cares for us. Now, thirdly and finally, God also cares about the chaos, because as we think about our future hope, God is our redeemer who cares about the chaos. He's our father who cares about our lives. He's our maker who cares about our world. And thirdly, he is our redeemer and he cares even about the chaos. Because you might be thinking, well, I know that God would care about the original beautiful world that he, that he first made, but how does he feel about the mess that we've now made of it? Does he still care of a world that's clearly so broken and fractured, where there is war and evil and death and pain and suffering and poverty? Does does God care about those dark things? Well, the good news is, listen to the opening verse that we read a moment ago, and you will see that God cares even about the chaos. Remember verse 2? Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I find this encouraging because the writer of Genesis is deliberately using words that were evocative in the ancient world for chaos. The world was formless and empty. Tohu vabohu is the Hebrew phrase, and it literally means the world was total chaos, So at the point that God decided to do something beautiful with it, it was in a complete mess. Isn't that that encouraging? That there was darkness over the world, not light. That there was a deep, watery chaos, and God's Spirit was hovering over it. Far from pulling back from the chaos, the first creation story says God hovers over chaos. He's a God who loves to turn situations around He did it in the first beginning, and then in John's gospel, we open the New Testament, and what does John start his gospel with? In the beginning. And you think, John, are you serious? Are you really saying that the arrival of Jesus Christ is like a whole new creation moment? And John's like, absolutely it is, because once again in Jesus Christ, God has come hovering over our chaos. Even more than that, he entered into it. He walked into our world of chaos as a human being and he even reached a point of death on a cross in order to provide a hinge in human history to turn this story around. Does God care? This picture of the cross absolutely defines how, this is how he cares. See him hovering over our world and dying for it and then sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to hover over our lives and bring his healing power to our lives, God is interested in the chaos. God hovers over the mess, the darkness, and the deep places of our lives. And if we will reach out to him, he is a father who loves us, who embraces us, and says, I will enter into the mess, even the mess that we have made, and bring my loving care. And today I want to invite you, I want you to hear, can you hear the fluttering, hovering presence of God? He's hovering over us right now, whether you're watching online or in the room, God is hovering over us by his spirit. And this is a holy moment where we get to say, God, come into the mess that I've made, come into the fears that about the small things that I thought you didn't care about, come into my life and bring your loving care. Let's pray together and invite God's spirit into our lives in Jesus' name. I want to pray particularly for anyone here today who for the first time you want to give your life to God or maybe you've wandered away and you've made a mess of your life and you're back here today saying, I need God I need him to come into this chaos, this stuff that I've tried to fix that I can't sort. I want to encourage you. Can you hear him hovering right now? His Holy Spirit is here hovering over the darkness, but you have to give him permission to land, to come into land in your life and turn things around. So would you like to pray with me a simple prayer? If you want to make your life something that is now God's, to take care of for the first time or in a new way. Just say these words with me. Let's all say them together but particularly for those for the first time. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you care. Sorry for the mess that I've made. Thank you that you died for it. And there's hope come into my chaos and turn my life around. In Jesus' name, amen. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to just know that you've prayed it so that I can pray for you right now. If you prayed that prayer, while others are just looking down, would you just give me a wave? I'd like to know who I can pray for. He's just prayed with me just to allow that presence. Thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Anyone else? who's prayed that prayer. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray over those and those I haven't seen whose hands are lifted. I pray in the name of Jesus that your healing power and presence would come into their lives right now, that they would know that they are forgiven for the mess they've made and that God is now with them in the chaos that they face. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all like to stand with me? And uh, I'd like to pray over all of us, invite all of us, to, because whether we've been Christians for many years or not, You know, we face some challenging times and there may be those blazes and hoovers of your life where you just think, does God really care about that stuff? I want to dare you as we finish to offer those things to him. To not think of him as some massive celebrity out in the skies who at best could give you a fraction of his time and attention. To think of him as your loving heavenly father who sees you as if you were the only one alive. He's got all of his eyes on you right now. Amen? So let's lift our hands to the Lord if you'd like to and just offer him. Imagine something in those hands. Maybe it's a practical challenge. Maybe it's a relationship that feels broken. Maybe it's a problem at work or something uh, in, in the economics of your life, the finances and your children and just lift what is it in your hands that you can't take care of. And you want to say, God, I give this to you. Thank you that you're a God who cares about the chaos. Thank you that you're that spirit who hovered over the dark place, who hovered over the deep stuff, who hovered over the formless and empty things. And you're the God who made something beautiful out of what was a chaos. And I thank you, God, that you can do that in our lives because you care. So just lift that to him, maybe just in your own heart, just voice a prayer to him. God, I give you this situation, name it to him, and invite him to come into this and to turn it around. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray that we would have stories to tell as we go into this week of situations that have miraculously changed, of provision that has beautifully arrived, of relationships that seem to have turned a corner because we've given to you things that you care about. Heavenly Father, over your children, hover now and enter the darkness, enter the deep place with your light, your love and your joy in Jesus' name. Amen.